Hey, it's Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. A lot of new information coming fast and furious this week. What does it all mean? We bring in Matt Fortuna from The Athletic to try to explain what any of this means relative to will there be football on time this season. I'm trying to make sense of it all because everything feels like it is coming so fast. I mean, think about just this week you had the Cal State University system says they're going to do virtual classes only. And that's a huge state university system. Three FBS schools affected San Diego State, Fresno State, San Jose State. The Cal State system is not the UC system, which would be UCLA and, and Cal, but they might be doing a completely different thing. And then you've got Jay Gouge, the, the Auburn president, saying in a video to freshmen, there will be football this fall. It, it's, it's a lot of different messages coming from a lot of different places. And what's it been like trying to keep track of everything? It's very hard. It's hard to keep up. I mean, I you know you mentioned the Auburn president. I was not aware of that. Maybe I maybe it was on my feed somewhere today. But between Twitter and all of our other social medias, and you know we have our own work Slack channels where we're updating things constantly. It's hard to keep up, and I feel like it's gotten harder uh, the last couple of days this week because so much has been happening so quickly. Starting, of course, like you said, uh, with the Cal with the the Cal State system, uh, basically saying that they're not going to be in person classes this fall, which would, uh, if that is followed through to the extreme that we would believe it to be, would have massive ramifications. I think for at least part of college football, if not all of college football, depending on how these things shake out. But I know we're going to get to this eventually. But the part to, to me today that really stood out uh, relates to you, Andy, and that is you are going to be quite possibly the most valuable sports reporter, at least for the entire athletic, if not the entire country, if a certain proposal or suggestion, I should say, comes to pass the way it was uh, proposed on Fox News today. Are you saying that I'm I'm potentially going to be covering SEC football plus the Rams, plus the 49ers, plus the Chargers, and maybe even the Giants and the Jets? Well, and not only that, I mean, they've already done it in the state. I assume they go to Gainesville, too. Maybe WWE, maybe UFC, maybe everything. Maybe, maybe it all. Yeah, soccer. maybe all of it. So, yes, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, went on Fox & Friends Thursday morning and said, I've been in discussions with, with folks at the University of Florida, and they're willing to volunteer the swamp for any NFL team that gets displaced because their state is not ready to reopen enough to allow them to either have practices or have games. And got in touch with Scott Strickland, the, the athletic director at Florida. He didn't want to say anything more on the record than than he gave in a, in a brief statement, but the brief statement said it all. I, he got in touch with Ron DeSantis on Wednesday and said, listen, if you're, if you're pushing for this, by all means, uh, got a great football stadium, uh, recently renovated basketball stadium, and a brand new baseball stadium that, that hasn't even had a game played in it yet. So, uh, they're open for business. And oh, by the way, I, I reached out to Florida State for comment and David Coburn, their athletic director said, well, we haven't talked to the governor about this yet, but that sure sounds interesting. Give us a team. And so, he did not say give us a team, but that was the <laughs> gist of it. And I was, I'm sure Danny White at UCF would be happy to take the Rams or, or the Chargers or the 49, whoever, whoever wants to come to the bounce house and play. But yeah, I mean, 
this is the type of stuff that that we're getting. And it's interesting because I had a guy on Twitter say, isn't this much ado about nothing? Because the Strickland statement says, you know, when it is decided that it's healthy enough and, and possible to have games, to have practices. And he said, wouldn't they just be at their home stadiums in that case? And I'm like, have you been following the news? <laughs> the attitude in California about this or the attitude in New Jersey about this is very different than the attitude in Florida about this. So I wouldn't be shocked if some of this stuff does come to pass because, as you mentioned, you, uh, the UFC has had two events already in Jacksonville. There's another one scheduled for Saturday. WWE has been broadcasting out of its operations center in Orlando. And the reason for that is early on in this process, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, had professional sports declared an essential business in the state. I, I didn't know that last part. Um, I mean, things are going to get weird. How weird? I don't know. I mean, we're still a few months out from when these games are scheduled to be played. Uh, but I mean, let's face it, it's much easier uh, for the NFL to figure this thing out with 32 teams, with one commissioner, uh, and with non-students, you know, with, with, with paid people who have a union uh, to play. I mean, you can have an NFL season without using, I'll still call it Giant Stadium, whatever it is now, MetLife Stadium, or uh, some of the other, uh, you know, I guess the Coliseum's still in play for, for the Rams out in L.A. until their, uh, their new uh, glass-enclosed stadium gets built out by Inglewood. But uh, you could still have professional sports, specifically NFL, um, or I shouldn't say you could still have, but it's easier to have NFL yes, football. Yes, because Roger Goodell um, can say, we will relocate everybody to states where – they think it's going to be okay for us to play. And and if those, let's say, Florida, Georgia, and Texas say it's okay, and California and New Jersey and Illinois don't, well, guess what? Those teams are going to Florida, Georgia, and Texas, and they're going to play. It's different in college. Now, we've seen some teams move, like because of Hurricane Katrina, some teams moved to schools in other states briefly. But the let's say Illinois doesn't want to open things up. The University of Illinois is not going to move its football team to Atlanta to play. That's not going to mm-hmm. happen. So that's the difference between the pro, a pro league and, a, and the colleges, is the colleges, especially with all the state universities, they have to respect whatever their state government decides. And I've been saying this literally since the day all the conference basketball tournaments got canceled in March and the world as we know it officially came to a halt. There is no one in charge of college sports, particularly college football. And a lot of us, particularly our friend Tim Brando, has lobbied for a college football czar or commissioner of some sort. It sounds great in theory, and I think situations like this show uh, how much that is needed. I don't know how it happens, though, because at least at the FBS level, you're dealing with 130 different constituencies that have 130 different interests and 130 different needs. And... And 43 already, different state governments that govern Exactly. Them. We're already talking about what might this look like if some teams come back but others don't, or, or if uh, the Pac-12 can't play but the SEC goes it alone, or if the Pac-12's non-conference opponents all fill out their schedules by playing each other, whether that's Notre Dame and Ohio State or Alabama and TCU, whatever that may be. Uh, there are just so many different scenarios, and all these are being talked about and discussed behind closed doors or behind closed Zoom meetings, whatever the appropriate vernacular is there. Don't, um, don't Zoom bomb the, the <laughs> Power 5 commissioners meeting. Exactly, exactly. They're, they're all being discussed and at least spoken out loud to some effect. I just, I mean, 
there's still a long ways to go. There's still a lot of steps that need to be taken. And I think this week to just hear some of these these ideas being spoken out loud by people in charge is in some ways encouraging, in some ways reassuring, even though we're not quite there yet. But I'm trying to picture a scenario where maybe half the FBS schools play football this fall and the other half don't. Like, I, I just... There is going let's, to be some kind break of breakoff. There's going to be some point in no return there yeah. amongst the highest levels of college football that I just think that these people will be smart enough not to go down because I just think there's no turning back. If the SEC plays football this fall and the Big Ten doesn't or, or whatever whatever the leagues may be, I just don't see how they ever could come together again and, and get back on the same page. I yeah, I don't think, think that's going to happen. I think they will all try to play. I mean, you look at the Pac-12 statement that they put out on Wednesday night. They're going to try to play, even if their states may be in disagreement. And I like, I'm curious, does what does USC have to do? Because they're not a state university. You know, I understand if you're a state university, you have to you have to follow all the rules of your state. But what if you're USC? Could you move your team to Arizona? They're a private you know, school. You know, I I, I, sp- I spoke to a private school athletic director about this about a month ago, and and, and said, well, you don't need to. You don't need to worry about what the state tells you, right? You can do, you know, essentially what you want or what you decide to do. And he said, it, 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 at the end of the day, the universities c- can probably make these calls on their own. So, I mean, they obviously need some cooperations, but I mean, we've seen public school presidents come out and say we plan on playing this fall, and, and I think they do have every intention on doing that in a health, healthy, and safe way. Well, uh, but I, for the sense I got was there isn't a private-public divide. Uh, quite to the extreme that I think a lot of us would have initially imagined from the outside looking at. So let's break it down, though, because I think that's it's not a case of and this has happened over the course of this discussion. People keep thinking, oh, the SEC will just go play on its own. It's not going to do that. If you've been listening to this show for the last few weeks, I've been telling you that will not happen. And you heard Greg Sankey on the Paul Feinbaum show this week saying that's not going to happen. But if for of the five power five leagues can play. And if four of the five group of five leagues have a majority of members who can play, I think they're going to play. So let's, let's talk about who do we think has a chance to be ready to play in September. And who do we think is, is going to have a potential problem there? We've talked about the state of Florida. I was so, going to say, I, I don't know if I'm comfortable going down the roads of saying this state's safe and this state's not. I'm not saying safe. I, I'm just saying based on what we've seen, <laughs> what these states have done, Mm -hmm. who has a chance? Where are the potential stumbling blocks? Because I would say California, New Jersey, New York. New New York, uh, most of Big Ten, uh, not most, some of Big Ten countries. Some of the Big Ten, uh, Maryland. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. Most of the ACC, most of the Big Ten, most of the Ohio State, I mean, that governor's been ahead of the ball with this since day one. I mean, I don't think he's going to rush back into it. Right. And Michigan, I don't think they are either. So, right, yeah, they've, they've been hit bad. So the Big Notre, Ten— Notre Dame, I mean, Indiana. Yeah, the Big Ten and the and the Pac-12, I think, are the ones that, that would be probably the—have the biggest divides. Half the ACC might. That's The ACC is another interesting one because you're right. There, there's 10 different states— in the ACC footprint, and it stretches from Florida to Massachusetts. So, you know, what What if, you know, New York says you can't, and Pennsylvania says you can't, Massachusetts says you can't. Well, there, there's Syracuse, Pitt, and Boston College. But what if the other nine can play? That's the – I think that's the big question, Matt. And we 
I talked to Mike Oresco a couple weeks ago from the American, and he he said if it's ten one or nine two, they they have eleven football playing members. That if it's ten one or nine two, they think they'll play. But I don't know that the ACC would feel that way, or the Big Ten would feel that way. That's a right. little bit different different animal. Yeah, I think especially when you're a Group of Five program, you got to look out for yourself because at the end of the day. You know, as, as we've seen throughout recent history with conference realignment, you get a better offer, you go and you don't look back. I mean, that, that's just the nature of the beast right now. And so uh, if you are going to hesitate to move forward because one of your conference brethren at that level might not be comfortable, I can very much see a scenario where, like you said, at the group of five level, um, if it's uh, a majority in one direction, they're going to forget about those. Or I hate to say forget about they're They're going to go ahead without you know the two or three schools that aren't comfortable playing yet. I still, I mean, it, we'll get to this at, at some point as the picture becomes clearer for everyone. I mean, what can the recruiting ramifications be for all this? I mean, oh, if you're a high school football player crazy. in the state of Ohio and you don't have a senior year, but the SEC is playing football and the ACC is playing football, I mean, does that, I mean, what's that do to Ohio State among many other, you know, factors? Ohio and, and State's okay. I don't know if you've seen the recruiting rankings. Well, They're they, good. they got to see the, yeah, but I mean, class if, of 2021. If, are they allowed to recruit if they're not playing football? You know what I mean? Like, I well, just think there's so many different that's layers. That's the other this. question. And so they've the, the NCAA has said pretty clearly we're not going to micromanage when you come back to practice because we realize all the states are going to be different on that. But it does seem like they are issuing a lot of blanket recruiting right. rulings. And, and the one that came down on Wednesday night was extending the dead period through, was it June 30th? I believe that's right. Yep. Yeah. So the end, of, the end of the academic year, right? Yeah. So here's the thing about that. It, it was funny reading the replies to the announcement on Twitter. You could tell one people don't know what the dead period is. They think it means you can't recruit at all. In fact, you can you can talk to people all you want. They've lifted most of the restrictions on that. You can Zoom call anybody you want anytime right now. What the dead period means is you can't have recruits on your campus. Well you can't have your players on your campus right now either. So it's not really changing much on that front. But the other thing I, I noticed people didn't seem to realize, you know, th they say, well, they need to break away from the NCAA. The power five needs to break away. The schools are the NCAA. They helped. Right. <laughs> they helped make that decision. It's not like that was made in a vacuum by somebody who was not working for a school. Uh, correct. Now, Initially, because this all started right at the when March Madness was about to begin, the NCAA kind of unilaterally made that decision to cancel the NCAA tournament, which of course is their tournament. It's not like the bowl system or the college football playoff that is outsourced to other people. Uh, that uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I talked to a lot of athletic directors and coaches at that time who, uh, while they understood the decision and knew there was no choice at the end, um, they, they didn't like kind of being left out that discussion. Yeah, they would have liked ways, to have been consulted finding, and they also would have liked finding a, out about it via the media. Yeah. A little more time to pass now, especially you, for the spring sports, like baseball, exactly so. the college world series, the, the softball world series, all that stuff. They were, they would have preferred now it, as we know now it all would have been canceled anyway, but they would have liked to wait a few weeks before you made that decision. Now, we say all that and Mark Emmert speaks to our friend Heather Denich over at ESPN this week and says, 
the NCAA is not going to mandate or oversee a uniform return to college sports, which uh, is, goes back to our earlier point. One, there's no real czar of college football. And two, uh, the schools are the NCAA. They're the ones who ultimately are responsible for these decisions, even though they need to come to a consensus before making them, which is very, very hard to do when you have that many different bodies from that many different parts of the country. Now, we've talked I feel like for over a decade now about when will the the biggest schools break off and do their own thing. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think an event like this will really crystallize the haves and have nots even more. It, it, it would be a step toward that maybe eventually happening if college football, as we know, once knew it, wants to survive. Now that's going way far down the road, but I think the more and more uh, hesitancy, if you will, that you're seeing from Mark Emmert and the NCAA public leadership uh, I think creates that cloud of uncertainty and that sense of no one's really in charge here. So we have a lot of people saying that the plan is to play as scheduled. And, and everybody's being prefer- completely honest when they say that. Right. The plan is to play as scheduled because you have to plan this way. You have to act as if you're going to because then you can always delay it later. But you can't say you're not going to play as scheduled and then all of a sudden – you know, two weeks before you need to have everybody back, be like, oh, no, no, we changed our minds. We're going to play in September. So here, let's go through what has to happen now. Uh, we'll start with getting people to campus. And so the general consensus is that it would take six weeks of prep, two weeks of workouts plus four weeks of practice before football players would be ready to play. So you got to have people back on campus Basically, two weeks from when this podcast is dropping, July fifteenth is probably the date you'd have to have some people back on, uh, you know, in workouts and and gathering in groups and 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 things like that. What has to happen between now and then? Because even the states that have really opened up, most of them wouldn't allow that now. It. it I mean. We started this podcast by talking about how hard it is to keep up with everything. And I think a perfect example of that is the number of people we've seen backtrack statements. Now, some of them have been taken out of context and whatnot. And you had a pretty thorough column about how I don't know is an appropriate answer uh, when talking about this from a position of leadership in college sports. But, uh, I mean, we saw the tweet from Brooks Cabina, who covers LSU uh, on Thursday. LSU executive Verge Osbury says on May 22nd that the SEC presidents will vote on whether they'll bring players back to campus on June 1st or June 15th, which would be in keeping with uh, the scenario that you just outlined if everything goes according to plan. Not long after that, uh, maybe an hour or so, clarification in a phone call after the task force meeting, Osbury said he misspoke on the date and there will be a vote in the future at an undetermined date. So we've seen a lot of people... Spoiler alert, he didn't misspeak. (laughs) Exactly. That's when they're voting on it. But... But here's the thing. They're not voting on necessarily June 1st or June 15th. They're going to vote on whether to extend the moratorium that expires on May 31st. So the SEC has said you can't have any organized activity on campus in your athletic department through May 31st. They have to decide whether they want to extend that or let it expire and if they do decide to extend it, what date to extend it to? That's what they're voting on next week. It doesn't mean people are definitely coming back June 1st. And that's, that's where pe- people get it confused. I saw uh, Jim Sterk, the Missouri AD, got quoted about it today. And, and the way it was phrased by the person paraphrasing the quote was like, they're expecting people back June 1st. That's not what he said. That's not what any of these people have said. 
it's that it, that would be the first possible date anybody could come back, but the states would have to allow it for the for the most part. And even in the SEC, where a lot of states have opened more than other parts of the country, I don't know that all those states are there yet. As far as what needs to happen between now and then, or what needs to happen if, say, that deadline is not extended and June first becomes the, the quote unquote. Uh, return date. How are these? I mean, again, a lot of these are state schools. A lot of these people and students and employees live driving distance from the office, from the facilities. But I mean, traveling itself, especially if you're coming from another part of the country or another country altogether, is going to be quite a chore. And I, I can imagine some hesitancy on the parts of parents and, and players uh, who might not want to do that right now, especially if they don't know exactly what is going to happen when they get back as far as preparing for a season that may or may not happen. So I think that's a, a big question that, that that's hanging out there right now. Uh, another, and it's it, it's kind of like the third rail, no one wants to talk about it. What happens uh, if someone tests positive? And, and not, I'm not just saying that like in season, if and when the season returns, I'm saying, you know, on campus, what are the protocols for this? How do uh, programs and universities as a whole respond? I mean, do they shut everything down? Do they have a plan in place? Uh, do they, will these, these players be isolated and adequately tested? I, I don't know. And we started this podcast talking off about, talk, started off this podcast talking about the NFL. I'm going to go to another pro sport right now, the NBA, because that's the one we're going to get an answer on before anything else, I think. Adam Silver on a conference call this week with players has said uh, basically a decision will be made by mid-June about whether to return or not. And I point to the NBA because the NFL season hasn't started yet. The MLB season hasn't started yet. The NBA right now would be in the middle of the conference finals. And there are a lot of ramifications for a lot of people, both financially, legacy-wise, you name it, if, if you're LeBron James and you're 30-something years old and this is one of your last runs, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks and you don't know if uh, the Greek Freak's going to return in a couple of years and you have the best record of the NBA, uh, if you're the, the Clippers who mortgage your future to get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, I mean, this, I mean, these are those are three the three top championship contenders that absolutely want to see the season played out and have a chance to win a championship. And I, I don't know if it's apples apples a comparison. But as far as desperation, uh, I think, you know, these guys not having a chance to compete for a championship when they're at the doorstep of it versus colleges not having a football season, which will absolutely drain these places financially. I I think those are the two most pressing um, sports. It it matters, if you will, as far as trying to figure out a way to get things done. And if the NBA can figure out a way to get it done, I know it's a completely different sport with a completely different set of parameters. I have to think that's more encouraging than not. Now, if they don't get it done uh, by by mid-June and they cancel the season, I I think that's when a lot of people, I think, are going to have to take a step back and think, okay, if they couldn't get it done, what needs to be done so that we can get it done? Going through an extra set of layers with campuses, with states, uh, with more prep time required to play the game of football than it is for basketball. Yeah, and John Swafford, the ACC commissioner, said Thursday afternoon that they're watching the NBA and the NFL, which would, would be back earlier than college football would in terms of the way they handle their training camps, mm-hmm. to try to get some guidance on how do you test, when do you test, how often do you test, because that would be pretty critical. And, and you're right about the what happens if somebody tests positive being the operating question. I think all the conferences right now are trying to draw up plans for how you would handle that. And the, the stuff I've read and the stuff I've seen from 
people who study this sort of thing, the epidemiologist types, if you get one positive test, you can probably isolate that person and you're probably okay. If you get multiple positive tests on a team, you may have to shut that team down for a little while. <laughs> and and that is a big question. That's what, uh, when I talked to Mike Oresco a couple of weeks ago, he asked, what if one of your teams has an outbreak and you have to quarantine them for two weeks and all of a sudden you've lost two games? Right. It's, it's a legitimate question. And not only that, I mean, you got to test the teams they played, presumably, right? I mean, I, I don't know the, the full science behind this, but... Oh, yeah, he, he said that, you know, they're not even going to play you if you're a non-conference opponent if you don't have a, a testing criteria or, you know, a testing protocol that is acceptable to them. That's encouraging to hear, at least that they've thought about it that thoroughly so far. I do think the unspoken thought that I've heard privately from administrators of college sports is uh, obviously, you know, what happens if someone tests positive, but what happens if they come back on time and, oh, it's uh, the height of flu season in November and people are getting sick left and right and there's another outbreak and the curve spikes again and everyone has to go back uh, home the way they had to in March. I mean, what if that happens in the middle of fall classes, in the middle of a football season, uh, as you're coming down the home stretch with college football playoff implications on the line. That is the worst case scenario. Well, it, I think. I, are you with me that that particular concern is why there are so few people behind the idea of just moving football to spring? Because that's the thing that surprised me the most, because that seemed like the most logical solution to all of this. But the more people I talk to, the less likely it seems that, that that's going to happen, that that is a complete last resort. And they would, even if it means you can't sell any tickets, you can't have any fans, rather just play as scheduled. So I, I'm surprised I haven't heard that spoken out loud more publicly. I will say, you know, looking at the, the quotes from John Swafford's uh, uh, end of spring meetings virtual press conference on Thursday, uh, he outlined four scenarios for the academic year, which was football as usual, truncated football, football but no basketball, or no sports for the academic year. And that was the first time I at least had heard someone publicly say, Basically, if there's no football, there's no sports, period. Now, I know that's the cash cow, and I know that that is uh, what feeds the rest of the program, so to speak. But I, I had not heard that before publicly, or privately for that matter, um, that if there's no football, there won't be sports, period, at least in the ACC, to hear John Swafford tell it. That part to me was surprising, and I do wonder if it, it might be tangentially related to what you just said Uh if there's no football, that would mean there's another outbreak, which means we can't get all of our other student athletes uh, in shape in time. I, I, I don't know. What, what did you make of that comment? Because that was the one that was really eyebrow raising for me. It, it just seems like spring for football is not an option, which I, I don't – I'm not sure I quite understand because I was thinking that these guys would be more interested in, in pushing as far as you could to try to sell some tickets because obviously, right. especially the Power Five – you make a lot of money off season ticket revenue. You make a lot of money off donations that are tied to season ticket sales. So I figured they might push on the hope that you could be able to, to sell more tickets because, I mean, I think we're, we're not being fear mongers or outlandish if we say if the season starts on time, there's a very good chance it would be with zero fans or very limited fans. I, I feel like that's a fairly realistic thing, and they know that too. But they seem more willing to accept that than the idea of pushing into the spring and then dealing with a whole new set of unknowns. 
Yeah, I can't figure that part out either. And I understand, again, we're so far out from the beginning of the season that it's hard to say, all right, we're going to do things in spring because in the spring everything's going to be fine and we'll just work with the NFL to adjust the calendar. I get not just going ahead and doing that, you know, as a blanket statement right now. Um, but but I, I, I can't figure out why, and maybe it's because of what the reasons you outlined, but I, I can't figure out why that hasn't at least been discussed more as a plausible scenario publicly because – on the surface, that would seem to be the safest approach because, yeah, we're, we're I mean, we're not being pessimists when we say the reality of the situation is it's very unlikely to see a, an 80,000 person gathering in Clemson, South Carolina or South Bend, Indiana. I just don't this think fall. everybody'd show up. I think even if even if the state you were in said it's it's cool, go ahead, do it. I just don't think everybody'd show up. I, I want to find it. You see, I, I think. I think this is one of those situations, like most politics, right? It's all local, where I think what you say and what you do might not match up. We just don't know the degrees of which they will differ. Uh, Tim Beret, the uh, outstanding former SID uh, at Clemson. I want to find a Facebook post so I can quote it accurately. And I know that's where we get all of our information, right? Facebook. But he, he put this out there. And keep in mind, most of his friends are probably Clemson fans or people in South Carolina. Tim said... On May 5th, and he's referring to an Indianapolis Star story uh, that, that outlined a, a high school basketball championship in Indianapolis that in some ways kind of became ground zero for the outbreak in the state. Uh, he said, quote, five fans who attended a high school basketball game near Indianapolis on March 6th died of coronavirus within a month. There were 2,900 people at the game. That would be the equivalent of 137 people dying from the virus at a football game with 80,000 in attendance. Would you go to a football game if those were the odds going in? End quote. And uh, I'm not going to say I read all 80 comments because I think I could read no more than two Facebook comments without my brain just exploding. Uh, but almost all of them were to the effect of, yeah, if the, the government says it's safe, let's go. You could die in a car accident. You could do this. You could do that, which I, I don't know. It's easy to say, yeah, the risk is low. It's also a very selfish, I think, thing to say, because if you know 100 people are going to die and you're still comfortable going, even though you don't think you're going to be the one who dies, that's still 100 people who are going to die that otherwise wouldn't have died by that logic. So I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if we can rely on, on polling right now um, to probably understand if people I, I will be comfortable be, coming back. They're going to be a little more standoffish about the idea of bringing people into the stadium. I think if you're testing all the players and you're testing the staffers and the coaches and all that, then you have a reasonable assumption that, that you have your hands around the situation, that you understand where he's at and you understand what the risk factors are. I think you bring in all, all those people, the risk factors go way up. Right. And so I think if, if you can mitigate the risk as much as you can, I mean, look, we know this is, this is not politically motivated or anything. The numbers tell us people in the age group that college football players are in are not really in danger of dying. Now, people in the age group that some college football coaches are in are. Right. So I mean, it's it's one of those things where you've got to be aware of who all the people are that, are that are being affected, but at least you're doing tests on everybody. And I talked to an athletic director on Thursday who said they're, they're planning to put aside six figures to test people. They're not entirely sure what it's going to cost because the price of tests keeps going down as more companies make them, as the FDA approves more tests and more different types of tests. So uh, 
but they're they're figuring it's going to be pretty expensive because they're going to want to test people really frequently. They do, and while the science is what the science is, I, I think we do need to be careful in just writing it off as you're probably not going to die. I mean, if you were on that, were we on the conference call with Andrew Baselli a couple of weeks ago? Uh, from Florida State, Tony Boselli son. I was who, uh, not on that call, but I, I know what he said. Uh, he he I said mean, it, it was, him, knocked him flat. He on had his a, a quote unquote mild case, and it sounded like the most miserable existence in the world. And uh, once his dad got it, he got it. A brother got it. His mother got it. Uh, two sisters were luckily spared, but that that gives you idea. I mean, four out of six people under one roof got it that quickly together. Um, and even you know his dad, healthy guy in his forties, I believe. Uh, you know, former All Pro NFL lineman. Um, I, I, I think, you know, the, the people in charge need to be very, very careful to as to not mitigate the potential ramifications for the student athletes that they're in charge of protecting. Not to mention, as you said, the coaches, the referees, the spotters, the people who all are required to operate a college football game. I mean, I could say this. I wasn't on these calls, but I know the Football Writers Association of America has had some calls over the past couple of weeks just exploring with SIDs and other people around college football as to what you know, uh, covering a game would, would look like um, whenever sports resumes, whenever college football resumes. And I know this is a little inside baseball for, for this audience, and they probably don't aren't all that interested in hearing what a normal game day is like for us. But I, I do think it's worth I, – I, I did find it interesting hearing about the potential of, hey, spacing people out in a press box or putting them in different parts of the stadium if fans aren't going to be in that stadium or holding virtual press conferences post-game in a separate room, Hugh Freestyle, so that you're not interacting with uh, players and coaches. You know, one person's at risk. One person who's at risk could infect another person and vice versa. I get all that. And look, I, I, I am all for the greater good here. I, I love my access as much as anyone, but we got to do what we got to do here to make sure things well, can, can re- I also return think, to normal. But but I also think... I don't know how many sports writers are going to be left by the end of this thing. Yeah, good point, either, good so point. But I also... Well, you'll be in Gainesville, right? Uh, with, with the NFL. Apparently I'll be very, else, very busy. <laughs> you'll be a one-man wrecking crew. You can bring your kids over. Um, but I, I can't help but think after hearing about these calls and hearing about these scenarios... Yeah, that sounds great, and I'm grateful that people are thinking ahead and planning ahead and, and trying to protect everyone. But there's still like this disconnect in my mind of, okay, the people covering the games would hypothetically be taking all these precautions. They're still doing this while looking down on and writing about a group of 22 people beating loving crap of each other in close quarters on a field who I know probably aren't as high risk as the rest of the population in that stadium is, but there, there's still a disconnect there. That's hard for me to kind of wrap my head around. Well, the other disconnect is the, the employee student athlete thing. You know, the NCAA right. spent a lot of time in court arguing these guys aren't employees. Well, if you bring them back because you need the money, that's kind of treating them like employees. So, my thing on that, I, and you know where I fall on all this stuff, but mm-hmm. they've moved the goalpost so many times on, on what amateurism is. Just move it again. Just be like, yeah, we're going to give you a COVID stipend because we brought you back. Nobody would care. Nobody, it wouldn't bother anybody. Uh, I agree in theory. Now, the minute someone gets seriously ill, there's going to be lawsuits out that you know what, rightly or wrongly, depending on what was agreed upon beforehand. And that's a slippery slope that I don't think anyone in college athletics wants to find themselves in. But, I mean, I agree fundamentally with what you're saying. I mean, it is what it is, right? It is whatever they say it is. Uh, Two years ago, the idea of name, image, and likeness was 
uh, a threat to the core fundamentals of nine months ago it was nine but yeah i mean i or no the pac-12 put out a statement in the fall saying this is going to ruin women's sports what the hell does it have to do with women's sports i mean those the women's basketball team or women's volleyball team is going to benefit from this probably every bit as much as the football and men's basketball players will at most schools i mean so i mean i just think yeah they move the goalposts on this so much that nothing that they say publicly about it can be taken seriously from here on out but i do think there are potential legal ramifications here that uh could be very very costly from a financial sense uh if this thing isn't thought out well enough and, and if they're the bottom falls out of this thing uh, did you hear joe buck by the way i think he went on uh andy cohen's serious yeah. xm radio show saying that fox will put virtual fans in the stands that sounds fun well we're like a baseline level of crowd noise which you know i just think back to that the, there's a clip of the big bang theory with no laugh track on youtube <laughs> and i actually wish they would just have a laugh track instead of virtual crowd or you know baseline crowd noise give give me a laugh track with with joe buck and and troy Aikman. <laughs> it's funny i i, I want to say chuck Klosterman mentioned his book once uh, one of his books of his many i've read a few of them i can't even tell you which one but um he had a, a, a tangent in one of his books one time about you know why does laugh track exist? What what is the purpose of it? Like, are these jokes not funny enough that we can't laugh on our own? And I think I well, the personally thing is have thought the, of laugh all tracks the single camera comedies that stopped using laugh tracks essentially killed the laugh track. There's a few shows that still do it, but I can't watch them. Like, I, I've never I, watched a, an episode of The Big Bang Theory because laugh tracks just throw me off now. Well, I mean, you don't need a laugh track for Kirby Enthusiasm, which is a, a dirtier, uh, more religiously West Coast version of Seinfeld, right? And it's every bit as funny. Um, the Sopranos is not a comedy, but I've been rewatching that for the hundredth time during this quarantine. And let me tell you, that fu- that show is as funny as any show in the world if, if you have a sense of dark humor, which obviously they do uh, uh, with the people producing The Sopranos. So, um Laugh track would be funny for football, probably for college more so than the NFL, whether it's a coach <laughs> losing his like stuff Benny or a Hill yakety sacks every time there's a fumble. I mean, you, you could just like superimpose a surrender cobra, the, the Michigan fan, right? Yes. If Harbaugh goes crazy. Or, or, or uh, that one Virginia fan. This yes, is just hanging yes, the over Virginia the wall. Virginia fan, the LSU fan when they got shut out against Alabama. I mean, they're enough. The, the, the shirtless guy uh, reading a book at Florida State when they're down 59 nothing to Clemson. Um, or just do, Can they digitally – Im- see, I, I think they should the digitally the put a bunch was, was, of that I mean, guy reading the book into the stands. Well, I think the draft stuff would work well if they're, you're, you're showing a corner of fans watching something unfold live, and it's not just – very vanilla Roger Goodell saying "boomy, boomy." Yeah, um, no, I, I, think, I want I think the Twitch stream of the hardest core Georgia and Alabama fans in Just, their in know, their houses better, better watching idea. that game. Better idea. We have every single SEC game, maybe even more than SEC games, on the SEC network with Paul Feinbaum opening the phone lines in the corner uh, at his whim. Oh, and, and, and that's not the, the control, right? Just cut the announcers' mics. And bring in Phyllis Romulga. Oh, Perfect. this is this is brilliant. This is beautiful. I I'm love all it. for it. And if there's a way we could do that post game podcast wise on the Andy Staples show, I am also all for that. We can I definitely that will, do that. That will spice some things up. Yeah, we can definitely do that. I'll just I'll throw a Zoom link out to to the fan, <laughs> the maddest fan. Please click this Zoom link and we'll record your reaction to this game. I love it. It's perfect. See, this is the thing that this is a time when there's a lot of unknowns, but it's also a time where you can come up with a lot of good ideas because exactly. everybody 
is thinking because we've got to try to figure something out. And before we go, Matt, I think we need to give – maybe we need to have like a universal disclaimer for all of our shows and all of our stories for the next mm, month or so. Nobody really knows anything. They will know more in a, in a month or two, but they don't really know anything now. I had a live Q&A on Thursday afternoon, and I, I, I caution that with a lot of these answers. Now, I was given some good questions with good scenarios of rank these one through five, most likely not likely in terms of what kind of season will happen, and I did my best with that. But, uh, you know, someone asks, is this the end of the Pac-12? I don't know. They don't know. None of us really know. Um, I wish we knew more, uh, but I'm most comfortable right now saying I don't know. And I, I well, you obviously agree because you wrote a whole column on that. But but I think the the sooner we come to grips with that as a nation, uh, I think the more realistic expectations will, will will be set, and we can proceed and move forward uh, as cautiously and as healthily, if that's a word, as safely. Let's go as safely as possible. We will know. The further we get along, the more we'll know. But right now, we know very little, and that's okay. Happy weekend, guys. Maybe we'll know more on Monday. Thanks a lot.